Let's turn our Bibles to 2 Timothy. We're, we're getting close to the end, um, but I want to continue in this series. We're, we're looking at it as Paul's final letter and as his word to Timothy, just to be faithful to the whole journey. Um, appreciating more and more how many places Paul in his letters will write about people that have just bailed and people that have left. I mean, in chapter 1, he talked about two evidently well-known believers who deserted, just have deserted him. And then when we get into chapter 4, he's going to talk about who is where, and some of those guys are going to have deserted him. So at the end of his journey, Paul wants to make sure he's faithful, and then he's, he certainly has a burden that, that Timothy is, is also faithful. And so that's where he's writing. And so this morning, it kind of, it kind of dovetails with what God put on Pastor Ted, what God put on pa- some of the things that uh, Cindy said along the way. This is a, it depends kind of a passage. It, you will be faithful to your whole journey. Whether or not you're faithful to your whole journey depends on, just a number of things, it depends on, as we've seen along the way, what you do with the body, what you do with the word. And this morning, it depends on what you do with the people around you in that sense. It's funny how we're kind of wired to want to imitate people, or you see people, and you see what they do, and you kind of like to do things the way they did. If you played sports, you had a, you had a sports person that you wanted to kind of be like. When I, was, when I was in Little League, we all wanted to be Carl Yastrzemski, and so you just watched what he did when he got to the plate, and how Yastrzemski would kind of swing his bat like that, and he'd, he'd get ready, he'd dig in. He also did something that he adjusted a part of his equipment. And so that really, you know, wasn't really modest, but it made him comfortable. So I remember one little league game, I'm just pre-Carl Yastrzemski mode. I'm little Jeffrey Yastrzemski, and I'm doing the routine that he does, and I did that little maneuver. And then, you know, at the end of the game, get in the car with my mom and say, that was a good game. She said, don't you ever do that again. I'm just trying to be Carl Yastrzemski, Mom. I remember in high school playing basketball just in the church league or whatever, watching Boston Celtic guys who had their fingers taped together because they jammed their fingers, and I guess that helps. I didn't know. It just looked cool. So whenever I played, I just taped my fingers together. That worked with girls. Jeff, what happened to your fingers? Yeah, I jammed them, so I have to kind of tape them together. <laughs> but wasn't that three weeks ago? Yeah, it was a bad jam. It was a bad one. <laughs> just things you do that, you know, you just want to be like people. They were innocent in, in that way. When we moved to Maine, to the church in Maine, our daughter, our joy was one, and after a couple of years, I was thinking about this morning, she must have been about four to be able to do this, but there were some older ladies that would take Cindy out, you know, out to lunch, and this one time, I went with them, and, and the youngest lady in that group had to be in her late 70s, to give you a sense of what it was. One of the things of being in a, in a great, in a small town church was how many grandparents our children grew up with. That was awesome. So we're all these ladies, and Joy's there. And she is fixated on these ladies at the table next to us. And so Joy looks over at her, and Joy's going like this. <laughs> and Cindy looks over, and in the days when you could smoke in a restaurant, there are these ladies, and they're all smoking. And then I think a lady did a ring, which I remember when my dad was a smoker. That always captivated me, the ring thing. And Joy is just, she's just fixated on that. She turns to Cindy, and she says, Mom, do you think the ladies would mind if I smoked? <laughs> it's one of those, forget the ladies, you need to worry about mom right about now. Just that, you know how the thing is where you see someone and you think that's good? I mean, that can be very positive. Some of you, 
if you're new in a career, there are people in, you know, in the field or there are people in your office that you just watch the way they manage their projects, the way they organize things, and, and they're a model to you. That's a good thing. When, when you come to faith in Jesus, the intention is that there are people who are just models to you. You know, we use the word discipleship, and that can be so fancy, but really all it is is modeling. You're trying to model for someone what it is to know Jesus and, and to grow in Jesus. And so that's going to be an important part here. It's going to be a really important part. We saw last week, there are people that are infiltrating Timothy's church, Timothy's area, for, for no good. And, th- and there was a danger. That's why when we come to our passage today in, in chapter 3 and verse 10, it's a really strong start because you can go off a cliff following the wrong person. And so in, in 2 Timothy 3.10, Paul says, You, however have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, and and yet from all of them the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, Continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Hey, Timothy, here is, here's these dangerous people that I've told you about when he says, you, however, he really writes that pretty strong in, in Greek grammar. It's like this red light that's on. You, when you're thinking of your walk and what's going on with you, you better continue. You better remember me, and you better remember the model that I have been to you, because that's really what he's pointing to. What is the model that he's been to you? If you're going to be faithful to your whole journey, it will be because you have people that have been a good model to you. People have been a good example or have kind of showed you, have showed you how to do this thing. And that's kind of where we begin. You'll be faithful if you are following those who are really following Jesus. If you have people that, that are there and that are on track and, and who are doing this thing well and they're growing and they're making progress and they're, they're using their gifts and they are the whole package, you have to be careful because usually when we look to follow people, when we think about that, we can fall into some safe things or we can make it hard or we can make it easy. We can follow people, for instance, um, that are worse than us. Sometimes we want to give ourselves a pass or we want to give ourselves a break because as long as I'm doing better than someone else, then I'm okay. I can feel okay. I don't go so much near the scripture and compare what God says, hey, this is who you should be. I'm just looking for someone that's a little worse off than me. I remember talking to a guy who was involved in a ministry to broken people, one of my pastor friends, and I was talking to him about a guy that I was working with whose life was just kind of off the rails, but he was okay with that. And he would constantly talk about this other guy who, who was even worse than he was. And, and he explained to me, that's, the, that's a dynamic that kind of flows in there. The dynamic is as long as somebody is worse than you you're okay. Boy, don't fall into that because you will not be faithful to this whole journey if you're just saying, well, I must be all right because I'm not as bad as this person. <laughs> hey, another way we can get into this, oops, hey, I think I 
I definitely hit the wrong place there. There we go. Let me come back to here. Yep. Is it, you can find a model in the one area that you need right. That can seem all right, especially, you know, I'm burdened in this way for those of you that are in recovery, that you're looking for a model of somebody who's, who's in recovery and in recovery well. And so you're just looking to get that one area of your life taken care of. Jesus is looking for your whole life to be following him and to be growing in the areas of all life that he wants. That's why you got to slide from big book to God's book. That's why the person that you're following needs to have the whole sense that, that this isn't just God, it's not just higher power, it's not just the God of the Bible, it's the Lord Jesus Christ who is leading me. So, or, or you know, you could be out of recovery, you could just be looking for somebody that's, that has a happy marriage, if that's the issue that's going on in your life, someone that's a good parent or somebody that's financially secure. Sometimes we want to model just in one area, and that can be helpful as long as you have someone who's got the whole package. And then I realize we, none of us really have the whole package, but, but there are people in the body who are walking in it and, and allowing God to speak into their whole life. That's the person you need to find. Or someone else, sometimes, some of us are wired and we're really comfortable in our inferiority. And so we just want to find someone that's better than us because then we can live in the guilt and in the inferiority that we feel like we deserve. Maybe all your life you were just told you weren't that smart or, you know, that you weren't as good as. You've kind of always lived in that or heard that and, and you've embraced that. And so somehow people get attached to someone that makes them feel worse as if that's what Jesus wants for them, which is crazy. I mean, he went to some great lengths to set us free, not to leave us living in condemnation. So you want someone who's further ahead than you, but not someone that you feel like is better than you. Because I always loved that phrase. I never heard it until I went to Maine and heard the old timers talk about that. Have you heard that phrase, the ground is level at the cross? Don't you love that? When you come to the cross, you come to Jesus, the ground's level. Nobody's higher or lower. We're all just there with our sin and with our need. So you can get trapped into finding someone who's, who's better than you, and that won't be better for you. Or you can sometimes look at someone, and, and they're unapproachable. They model what you want, but they don't really give you a sense that they're looking for someone to come alongside of them. So you need someone who, who models a life and a following of Jesus that looks good to you, but somebody that's going to allow you to enter into their life and into their world. Those are, those are some areas. Or, or somebody who is like you. Be careful with that, because one of the beauties and mysteries of God is how he puts people together. You know, I talk sometimes about my, my two aunts that, that led my mom and then my family uh, to Jesus. They were all involved in, in uh, public school administration and public school teachers. They were they both grown up in Christian homes and had walked with Jesus for years and years and years. One of them went to Moody Bible Institute and was influential in my going there. And so they're there. I mean, they're just wonderful ladies. My aunt, my one aunt that's left is 92 and still leads a Bible study. I mean, I said, hey, God, if I live that long, that's the, I want to be like that. I want to be like Annie Lee. She has a couple in her Bible study that are over 100. And, and uh, <laughs> she can't see and he can't hear. So they kind of... <laughs> They kind of complement each other in this Bible study, but how cool is that? I mean, okay, God, if Cindy and I live to be 100, that's who I want to be. Uh, I want to be the seer. I don't want to be the hearer, you know? 
like a nod, but, but that's enough. So, so here's my two aunts, and you get a sense of who they are. They're pretty proper. In our home church, God put them with this guy who was a high school graduate who had an excavating business. They used to get together, and they were nothing alike at all. I mean, Randy and Sue, our friend who had such an influence on a newly married Cindy and I, Randy and Sue, were just people of the earth. You know what I mean? I say that in a complimentary way. They just kind of learned things the life way. And, 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 uh, and they would get together with my aunts. I remember when we came home from school, we found this out. I remember thinking, you would never put them together. But God would, and God did. And so don't look for people who are like you. You know, just allow the Holy Spirit to show you who it should be. You want to look for people, you want to look for people who are just Jesus people. People that you send to know Jesus and, and people in whose lives Jesus is at work. That's the kind of person that you want to you want to look you want to look for. And we talk about following those who are really following Jesus. It's interesting when Paul starts talking and you see all the times he says, My my teaching, my conduct, my aim, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, the things that happened to me, the persecutions I endured, and God rescued me. It's really interesting because you read Paul's letters, he usually minimizes himself. He says to the Corinthians, you know, he has to give them a kind of a resume of what he's done because they're so in enamored with these new teachers. And Paul has to say, okay, well, look, this is what I've done. And he says at one point, I'm talking like I'm out of my mind to tell you what I've done. So he usually minimizes. So you get a sense of how dangerous the moment is that he would put out there for Timothy, remember all of this about me. What you know about me, Timothy, remember that and continue in it because that's really, that's really the command to him. You have followed this up to now. Now you continue in it. Do not go off the cliff. Do not give up because of these other guys. Don't join these other guys. You just hang in there and stay, stay in with this. You've heard me teach. You know what I'm about. You've seen my life, my conduct. You know that I'm consistent to what I've done. I mean, Timothy's been with Paul for years. He's been with him on mission trips. He's done missions for Paul. So he has seen him at his best and at his worst. I mean, if you've gone on missions trips, you get to see a side of people because a missions trip, typically you're not sleeping well and you're not eating what you're used to and you don't really know what you're doing. So you put people in those environments and, and you get to see the real them. And you get to see how they do when, when they're exhausted or, or when they've made mistakes or when they're out of their element. And so Paul's saying, you know me. You know all about me. You know my aim in life. That's a huge one for the person that you're going to follow. For the people that, that you're following, that's a huge one. If you ask Paul his aim in life, there were just three passages that came to mind. Paul would say his aim in life is to know Jesus, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and share in the fellowship of his sufferings, Philippians 3. These would be good ones to write down. This is his aim. Really, they're the aim of every life in some way to know Jesus personally, to know about him and, and to experience him. Paul would also say his, his aim in life is to get people saved, to do what he can so that people come to know Jesus as their savior and to give their lives to him. He says in 1 Corinthians 9, when I'm in Jewish people, I, I put on my Jewishness. When I'm, not, when, when I'm with non-Jewish people, I put aside the Jewish rules. When I'm with people who know God, then I can talk that lingo. When I'm with people who don't know God, 
I try to relate to them. He's not being inconsistent. He's just trying to say, whatever the need is, wherever people are at, I try to come alongside of them and identify with them. He says, so that if by any means possible, I might win some. That was one of his aims. That was one of his goals. How can I help people get saved? So you're working with professionals in your office. How do you help them take another step closer to knowing who Jesus is? Or you're talking to people that have had a terrible church experience. How can you talk to them and relate to them in ways that will help them get saved? That was one of his goals. And then as you read, his, as you read the letters, the other one is to get everyone ready to meet Christ. He says in Colossians 1, so you got Philippians 3, 1 Corinthians 9, and Colossians 1. He says, and, and we admonish and present Jesus to everyone so that we might present everyone perfect in Christ. We want to present everyone who they are supposed to be in Jesus. We don't want to forget to teach things. We don't want to forget to, to you know, confront people or encourage or speak to them or encourage them. We want to present everyone who they're supposed to be in Jesus. You know my aim in life, Timothy. My whole life is about these things. You want to, you want to find someone as your follower. You want to find somebody who has goals, who's living goals that the scriptures talk about. And so as you're, one of my goals out of this message is for you to just pray, God, who's a person or who are a couple people that I ought to be modeling, who, who I ought to be following as they follow you? And as a place where Paul will say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. I was talking to a guy one time who said, that just seems incredibly arrogant of Paul to say. I was like, what? He said, well, just to say, you ought to imitate me. And said, you know, hopefully everybody down the road is able to say that. Hey, I hope you, this is something I've learned. I hope you learn that, kind of that way. So I'm, I'm hoping that you come out just praying, God, would you just show me, show me someone or show me a handful of people that I could get to know and follow? And the flip side of that is I hope we, we're praying, God, tell me what you need to tell me so that I'm one of those people that comes to mind for somebody. And some of that is going to wrap around what's your aim in life. And then, then he keeps going on in these things about him, you know, my patience, my love, how, I, how I've treated people, how I've connected with people, my steadfastness, that everything he's been through, he hasn't given up. That word steadfastness is you've been through it, but you haven't bailed. You just hung in there. Interesting, Paul had so many different places where he suffered. The fact that he would mention Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, that was early on in his life, and Lystra was Timothy's hometown. So he not only is saying, you know, Timothy's been in some places with him where they were persecuted. You know, Philippi, Timothy was there. In Thessalonica, Timothy was there when, when things went south. But he says, your hometown, Lystra and Iconium were in that area. Iconium is a place where Paul and, Paul and Barnabas, they preached, it went so well, they thought they were gods. Remember that? And then people flipped really quickly, and they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city. And then he, when he came to, he just got up and went back in the city, made sure everybody was all set and went on. You know about those things, Timothy. You know that I've paid a cost for this, which is something you need to factor into when it's, you know, God, who do we want to be like? Who do, we wanna, who do I want to follow? Make sure that whoever it is, is has paid a cost to be there. I remember, you know, they're just the way I'm wired. When I'm in a situation, I like to pick people's brains. And I had a pastor friend that I used to call for, you know, hey, this is a situation, what would you do? And I, I called him, and I remember one time t t hanging up, and I said to Cindy, you know, he gives me advice. He tells me to, to do things I don't think he would do. You know, Listen, 
you need to tell them. And I'm thinking, wow, <laughs> don't try this at home, you know. But, you know, you want people who have paid a cost. And Paul's saying, you know, Timothy, I have paid the cost. I haven't, haven't run away. I've paid the cost. In fact, he's very open, like Scripture is. Anybody that's serious about this is going to pay a cost. Because he says in verse 12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You know, one of the, one of the best balancing things I do is I have the uh, Voice of the Martyrs app. And every day, you know, you open it and here's, you know, here's the group you're praying for today. I think it was Friday. It said it was China was the country. The prayer request was pray for children in the, I don't know if it's the Fulang province. The government has forbidden children to be educated religiously. So now your parent who wants your child to know Jesus, so what do you do? Or uh, the other day we prayed for one of the stands, uh, Azerbaijan or Uzbekistan, pray for imprisoned pastors who can no longer find work. That's just really good for me to get perspective. You know, remember all of those who, who want to follow Jesus are going to suffer. I mean, Jesus was very open about that. You're going to be hated by all for my namesake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. That's just one of many things Jesus said to let us know that, that there was going to be opposition to this. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted. But then he comes back around. He says, blessed are you when you're persecuted. Not if, but when. And then when Paul's on one of the missionary journeys, coming back through, he says, he's strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. This is just how it goes. This is how it goes. So in high school or in college, this is just how it goes if you're going to live for Jesus Christ. Not obnoxiously for Jesus, but if you're just going to live openly for him, there's going to be a pushback, especially where our culture is going. Where our culture is that, that we tolerate everything except absolutes, and nobody gets to speak against anything anyone else believes. Boy, that's just leading people over cliffs. And so if you graciously speak the truth, like Colossians says, let your conversation be seasoned with salt, or you speak because you love people, like Ephesians says, you know, speaking the truth in love, there's going to be a pushback. And the scripture has said that. And yet Paul says in, in those, just to keep Timothy on the, on the balanced place when he talks about persecution, he says at the end of verse 11, yet from, yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. In every place, he's going to say at the end of this letter that nobody stood with me when it came time for my trial with Caesar, but the Lord stood by my side. In, in the Psalms, as reading, reading this week, it says in the Psalm, it says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. And when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. Many of the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. That's just his track record. That's just what he does. There's going to be trouble as you follow him. And you need to just continue to the end, like the scriptures say. So you need to follow those who are really following Jesus, whose words and not understanding of scripture and life and, and persistence, all of those things are consistent with what Jesus says we ought to be. Who is that person that God would put in your life to keep you faithful to your journey? 
Sometimes people, God just brings in people for a season of your life, or sometimes you have, some of you have people that you've been in your life for years that God has used through several seasons of life. If you're going to stay faithful, you have to follow those who are really following Jesus. I came across this illustration out of a book that long ago, I think I bought, and I bought it. You know how you buy these books, you want to read them. They stay around so long, they just are like guilt things. You know, it's like they call out to you, when are you going to read me? And, uh, you know, I look for, pick up some books for vacation, and, you know, it's almost like going back to a little playing baseball as kids. Pick me, pick me. I think, oh, no, you're too big. I don't want to read you on vacation. Uh, there's the book, My But Your Land is Beautiful, about South Africa and about apartheid in South Africa. So this week, in one of the commentaries, they had this illustration out of that book. And it's like, this book came out of nowhere again. and say, see, you never read me. So here I am. So I may read it. That's a whole nother note. So here's this illustration. There was this school administrator in South Africa during the time of apartheid. If you're too young to know apartheid, apartheid was a state-sponsored, prejudicial, discriminatory system in South Africa that just kept the Afrikaners, the, the, uh, the blacks and the mixed blacks down. Just, it was a state-organized method of doing that. And so it was, it was obviously ungodly, it was horrible. In, you know, eventually through the bravery of some people, that was ended. Uh, that was a book I read with Nelson Mandela's life. But in the course of that, here's a school administrator who had been a famous sports star, he'd been a famous cricket star in South Africa. And uh, when he came to understand what apartheid really was, he could no longer work for the school. And so one of the, one of the black men who was prominent in the freedom movement went to see him to just thank him for being that open and for siding with them. And so they're in this conversation, and the, the white administrator says to, to his, his black friend, fellow Afrikaner, he says, you know this is going to really cost you, and you're going to pay a price for this. And this is what the man says to him. He says, you know, when I stand before the judge one day, as I hope, he's going to say to me, where are your wounds? And I don't want to say to him, I don't have any wounds. Because then he's going to say, so did you live your life for something was not worth fighting for? Well, isn't that good? I mean, if you live your life to advance the kingdom of Jesus, you're going to have wounds. You're going to have wounds. And Paul was just saying, I'm not, you know, I'm not backing away from my wounds. I'm not, he's not going to put himself foolishly in situations, but he's not going to back away when there's a cost to pay. That's the kind of model you need, is somebody who's hanging in there. I, I read an article about a, several years ago about a pastor who led a guy to faith, and the, the first year of the guy's church experience was an awful year in their church. And uh, the people were leaving the church, it was a stressful time for this pastor, and so at the end of the year, the guy wants to meet with him, sets up a meeting, and he's thinking, great, you know, he's watched this awful, experience all done in the name of jesus and in the done of name of church and now he's coming to tell me he's out and so the guy meets with the pastor and he says to him listen if you could still follow jesus after what you've been through this year i am all in see your faithfulness is your faithfulness is going to matter to people and you want to find people you want people to model for you faithfulness because you don't, you all know, you don't have to be in church long to find out. Church is still a very human thing. And this is why these letters were written. And, and your best model is still going to disappoint you. 
and maybe even wound you. I mean, that's the part I hate for, for Jen and Gavin. I mean, they've been together long enough, they've been together almost five years, that they know each other and they know what they can do to each other. But somehow when you get married, you, this, you get this DNA thing in your head. There is, now we're different. Now we're perfect. We're just wonderful. Yeah, I was thinking when we were singing one of the songs about God stays with us, that was, maybe I was thinking about the message too. Just some of the woundedness or some of the triggers that Cindy and I brought in that we didn't realize were triggers. So I don't want to talk about mine, but I want to talk about hers, Sam. Uh, actually, it is, actually, it is mine. So because my father left, I was very, and the, the things that did to me, that was very sensitive to me. So you know how you have these, uh, how do we say, intense discussions in the first year of your marriage? You know where I am? And uh, so we had, one of these, we had one of these intense discussions, and Cindy says, listen, I need, to just, I need to just get out a minute. I need to just get out for a little bit. And in my 10-year-old, all of a sudden triggered mind, it's, she's leaving me, you know, you cannot go. She says, I'm fine, I just need to get out, clear my head. There was just so much going on to me, and she says to me, I am not leaving you, I am just going out for a walk. <laughs> it was just, you see how that is, the, the trigger goes, you need people that have paid and people that can walk, walk you through things. So it just, I grieve that Jen and Gavin are going to experience that but it's going to get them to a deeper love. It's going to get them to a deeper love. So if you're, you know, your wounds are kind of screening, what I'm trying to say, this will get you to a deeper love and experience with Jesus if you can get close to people again. So, and he tells him in the second part, he says, you know, this, you follow those who are really following Jesus. And then he tells him, you keep following the word for yourself. So he says to him, uh, in in uh, verse 14, he says, but for you, you know, you know me now, but as for you, you continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it. You just keep growing in the word. You keep following the word for yourself. I was thinking about that. I was thinking about some of our teenagers, some of our younger ones who think, man, how much of this is enough? How much do I got to do? I go to church you know, you tell me to read the Bible, or maybe if you go up to World Life, you come back. I'm supposed to go to youth group. I'm supposed to do this. How much of this am I supposed to do? Man, Timothy, he grew up in a mostly Christian home. His father wasn't saved, but his mom was, and his grandmother was, and it said in chapter one that they really invested in him. In fact, Jewish homes, they were locked in on that it was a parent's responsibility to teach the word. Let me tell you, that's been lost. It's kind of like Sunday school or kids' churches where my kids are supposed to be taught, or I'll send them to Max and Sophie in youth group, it was the parents that taught the word. And they didn't have copies of the word, so a lot of it was memorization, which has also been lost. So Timothy, he's grown up in this. He's, he's been taught at home. It's almost like the homeschool Bible class is really how we would understand it or think about it now. He had that. Then he, his, his mom gets saved when church comes, and now they're involved in church. He's so involved in church that when Paul shows up in his town, they say, hey, you need, you need to think about Timothy. Look at what he's done. Look at who he is. So he's got all this church experience. Then he's been on all these missions trips with the Apostle Paul, where he's been with him. And then he's been kind of Paul's mission specialist. Paul sends him to Thessalonica. He sent him here to Ephesus. He's done all of these things. Hasn't he done enough? And yet Paul says, you continue in the word. You, this is the, you know, the command in the passage. You continue in the word. If you're going to be faithful to your whole journey, it's because you never let up your involvement in the word. I wish, I wish, in fact, 
Pastor Ted and I talk about this frequently, we wish we could get, ac- get across this to some of you. Some of you love the word. You're in it. You love to study. Some of you are so casual about the word. We wish we could get to you that you are not going to experience Jesus the way he wants to be experienced unless you're in the person of the word, unless you're reading it. So when I talk to people, when I talk to somebody and they're so casual, yeah, I'm not really in the Word. I'm, yeah, I'm not that. I'm just not that consistent. Or when I talk to somebody and I feel like, man, the daily bread is their whole Bible experience. I feel like, man, you are you are cheating yourself, and you are you are deceiving yourself into thinking this is the normal relationship God wants to have with you. It's not. He wants you to continue in the Word. Look at this process that Timmy's, Timothy has had. You continue in the Word that you've learned. You've had plenty of learning, but it's gone beyond learning. You're learning this morning what, I, what this passage says and what some of the words mean. You're learning, but he goes beyond that, and you have firmly believed. You, you've heard these truths, and you decide, yeah, these are truths. These are true from God. They work for life. They're things that I need to do. You have firmly believed. And then why you ask that? Because knowing from who you learned it, He's convinced of it because of what it said and because who it was that was telling him that. He knew his mother and he knew his grandmother. He saw their life. He knew Paul and he knew what Paul taught and he knew Paul's life. And so he's more convinced of the truth because who he's hearing it from and who he's seeing it lived out. So he's convinced of it. You get a sense in Timothy, reading him and meeting him, you get a sense of who he is, that he's applied this. He hasn't just learned it and decided he believes it. He's living it. Uh, I want you to turn for a second to Philippians chapter 2 because there's a moment where, where Paul brags on Timothy a little bit. In Philippians 2, it's really, it's really a chapter of models. He, Paul says at the beginning of this, you know, you ought to have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who even though he was God, he didn't think he should grasp that, but he you know, he humbled himself and emptied himself and made himself a servant and let himself become a man and be crucified. There's the Jesus model. And then he, he talks about himself and he says, I'm here and, and my life is, might be poured out for you. That's okay with me. And then he says in Philippians 2.19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. That's Timothy. He, he learned, he firmly believed, and he applied. He was living out what he was seeing and what he was learning. He'd come into something like this, he'd hear what was going on, and he'd figure out, okay, so what do I got to adjust in my life? I have nobody else like him. And Paul's surrounded by a pretty strong team. For everyone looks out for their own interest and not those of Jesus Christ. You know, you go on a missions trip with people and it's, you know, okay, where, where's the best bed? Or where are we going to do it? Or what, what can we eat that's really good? And, and boy, you know, I've been open with you on my experience on trips. I've had experiences on both ends of the thing. And in uh, full disclosure, can I tell you, the only time, but it was a time, that I did play the pastor card was uh, we went to Mexico with it when we had the Christian school here. We brought some kids to Mexico, and 
we landed late afternoon in Mexico City and we took a bus and the bus ride was kind of hairy because we went through one point where kids were throwing rocks at the bus just for fun, I guess. So we drive a couple hours and we get into, into this town where we're going to and we don't have enough vehicles for all the kids and, and they don't have vehicles that are air conditioned and so some of our kids actually, a couple of our boys actually went in like the U-Haul trailer. They kind of locked them in there. I think it was probably hot in there, a little stuffy. <laughs> so the missionary says to me, you know, Pastor Jeff, you should probably ride it with me in the Ford Expedition. And I just heard the Holy Spirit say, yes, you should. Get in that air-conditioned car while the boys are stuffy away. Don't identify with them. Go in the car. And I said, I will do that. I will ride with you. <laughs> and I thought, he's only saying that to me because I'm the pastor, and I'm going to take it this time. Yeah, it's so funny. Funny to me anyway. I'm sure it wasn't funny to them. I, it was one of those things you didn't tell people till the end of the trip. Like when we were in Africa, we remember how so those of you who went to Africa went to Ivory Coast with us. Remember how we waited to tell you that we, our room was air-conditioned until we all got home? It's kind of one of those things. You know? So, not really sure how we got here. He applied that. Yeah, he listened and he thought, how do I apply this? I have nobody else like Timothy. People are wondering about them. Timothy is wondering about Jesus. Why was that? Because he kept himself in the word. He knew what it said. He applied it. He, he made whatever adjustments he needed to make in the word. Why did he do that? Because he knew who he was learning the word from and he knew what the word was. So here's this verse that's so important to what we believe about this Bible in verse 16, where Paul says to him, all scripture is breathed out by God and it's, it's profitable. You know, you know who you've heard this from, but you also know what this is. This is God's book. This book is unique among any other book in, in history or in the world today. This book, the scripture says, is God breathed. That's literally what it means. That God had in mind the exact message he wanted to get out, and he just kind of breathed it through those writers. The miracle of inspiration, you get their personalities, but you get the truth exactly as God wanted it. I understand that the scriptures are word for word what God wanted. Some people believe that it's, it's thought inspiration, that the thoughts are God's, but not the exact words. There's a place in Galatians where Paul says the difference between seed and seeds. That leads me to just reinforce the idea, no, it's got to be every word or we're going to wonder what words, what is and what isn't. Some people believe that the Bible contains God's word, but then it comes down to us to figure out what is and what isn't and how are we ever going to agree on that? Where it just seems even logical that if you're the God of heaven, you want to get a message that will lead people to eternal life and not eternal death and that will advance your kingdom, you're going to make sure that your word is exactly what it's supposed to be and you would protect it. So he says to Timothy, you know who you heard it from and you know what it is. It's the word of God. That's why he can say, thus saith the Lord. That's why Paul can show up in, in cultures with their own religious systems and say, appreciate what you're searching for, like Pastor Ted said, but you're wrong. You're wrong. It, it has to be Jesus. I was talking with one of the staff yesterday at the funeral service, and they were all great. Basically. You know, I, I work with anybody. We all believe in the same God. I hate that line. You know, I just hate that. And, and you know, you don't want to you don't want to come off like a jerk. But I said to him, you know, I understand that, but at the end of the day, you've got to deal with Jesus Christ and who He said He was and what He said He was doing. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> 
let me say that again, you know? So, yeah, we have an exclusive gospel that's true, but we can say, this is what God says. It doesn't really matter if it makes it uncomfortable. It doesn't matter if I agree with it. It's what God has to say. And, and he tells them to continue in it, not only because it's God's word, but because it's profitable, it's useful, it's going to help you, it's beneficial. It's going to help you in, in every area of your life, in every slice of life, so, so that you know exactly what it is you're supposed to do. It, it's profitable so that you know what God has to say on pretty much everything. So it's teaching. It's profitable because it's going to correct you and it's going to come in and, and point out the things that are wrong. You know, people come to Jesus now and their lifestyles are very unbiblical. And it's an area, Pastor Ted and I talk about, you know, it's an area where we wrestle with, you know, there's times we've, we've talked to people who said, you just need to make changes right now. And there's times we've just sensed God telling us, we need to give them time to be in the word and to see what the word says and to see it for themselves. So too, when you're mentoring or you're discipling someone, that's hard to say, hey, here's, here's what the scriptures say now. Let's help you apply that well. Let's help, you, let's help you do that well. And so scripture will talk about that this is God's word and, and, and that this is how it works and that it's profitable and it's going to correct you. And there's times where the word is going to sting you because it's going to tell you that something you've held on to or something that works for you or something that's protected you, it's going to tell you that it's wrong, that you're wrong, and you've got to be able to receive that. And if people are going to mentor you and disciple you, you're going to have to give them the freedom to tell you that you're wrong and, and to know that they're doing it in God's word. But that's profitable for you. That's good for you if you can receive it. It's profitable, and then it, it's going to rebuke you. Sometimes it's going to reprove you. Reprove you. It's going to help you make adjustments. And, and then sometimes it's going to train you. This is how you do this. You learn how Paul shares Jesus. You learn how to share Jesus sometimes by watching Paul share Jesus. Or you learn how to parent by seeing what Solomon tells his, son, his future parent's son in the book of Proverbs. It's there for you, and it's good. I hope you've come across these verses. They're great for young people, but they're great for us. Out of Psalm 119 that says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. The role of the word in correcting and, and in enlightening and, and, and inspiring us. The verse that we started out service with just talked about the word being true and being right for us. So we have this word. We're to continue in it. If you, if you haven't started the, the habit of consistently being in the word, boy, start that. Start that today. If you've gotten away from that, get back into that today. It's not, can I say to you as well, and I, I appreciate so much what AA has done in so many lives. This is very, very different from having a time in the morning where you meditate. This is a time when you are in the word of God for the God of the universe to speak to you about what he wants to do, what he has for you and what he has for you to do. That's a whole different thing. And who can help you do that? Somebody else can do that. Because the ultimate goal is to get you to work. That's where it is in verse 17, isn't it? That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So if you're, if you're studying the Bible and you're going to Bible studies and you're going to go to Pastor Ted's class and, and then you're, yeah, you're going to go to the, the Home Bible Fellowship that Don leads at Kwaski's and then you're going to go to the Women's Bible Study that's coming, you're going to do all those things. 
but you're not going to find the work that God wants you to do, you're almost putting yourself in a greater danger situation because to whom much is given, much is required. And we're given so much of the word that our persecuted brothers and sisters would love to get. But we're given the word so that we do. So that we do. Every good work. He's got a good work for you. He's just trying to equip you with it in the word. Having people that you follow, they will help you get there. That's where, that's where the word this morning leads us to. Who is it that you can put in your life that you can follow? How is your life as far as being one that someone would look at and say, boy, I want to come alongside of you so that I know how this Christian thing works? You need to pray for those of you that you just hear the voice of the evil one in your head. I can't, I can't be that person. I'm not that person. You are that person if you've walked with Jesus. So I want you to be on both sides of that. I want you to be on that side of how do I continue in the word so that I am growing in the word and it's taking control of my life and it's getting me ready to work. That's where we go. And Lord Jesus, you are so worth following. I mean, people got in trouble when they followed you. But below that was such a great life and a great experience. And boy, I want that for myself. I want that for our church family to know you and experience you in the following of you. When the reality is that we just follow you close, people are want to get, going to want to get in on that. So we pray that would happen. The places where you set us, who are surrounded by people that are far from you, pray that just our following would just be an attractant for them. I pray for those in the body who, who need someone to, to follow, someone to mentor them or disciple them in a season or maybe from the very beginning that you would just give them a name or allow there to be what we see as a random connection in the cafe or whatever, but we find out later really it was just you putting pieces together. I pray that you would just shatter that insecurity or inferiority that some of us who have so much to offer wrestle with that keeps us from just pouring out what you've done in our lives. So we're looking for you, Holy Spirit, to be the networker today. Would you do that so that our walk becomes, yeah, just closer and what, it, what it's supposed to be, and so we're about the work you've given us to do. Pray you do that. Bless our conversations in the cafe. Bring us back Wednesday night to your glory. As we pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen.